1989, I was ready to make a movie. Needed a lead who could prove to be very groovy. But along came a door with some fresh parodies. Some of which came from some well-known melodies. It's just a silly Weird Al movie. Oh, it's really, really goofy. Oh, a little bit cutesy. Oh, not so smoothly. Oh, it's just a silly Weird Al movie. the film path here we review and discuss movies that for better or for worse are less known to the general public today we are discussing 1989's uhf i'm kyle and i'm sophia so sophia i i know you know why yeah why why are we doing this movie we're doing this movie because this is no longer the weird owl movie right there is a new one with daniel radcliffe and okay so Weird Al, to me, is like Munster cheese. It's fine. Good, even. But it's really weird to me when people are, like, super into it. I, on the other hand, had my first concert be a Weird Al concert. Well, honestly, that's better than my first concert. Ooh, hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. I don't know if the timing works out right for this, but Reliant K. That would have been so much cooler Okay, I was just trying to guess a Christian rock band. <laughs> no, look, good guess. I was not yet into rock. I don't know. Reliant K is a ska band. Fuck off. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. But most importantly, they are a Christian band. <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a point in time where the Christian rock thing was to do ska, and it just it was the worst. No, Garth Brooks. Okay, that's country music, right? Yeah. Before he went insane. Okay. Before the wig took over his brain. I, I know so little about country that, like, all the names kind of bleed together for me. So I'm like, okay, sure. He's a country guy. Yeah, it's, it's fine. He's fine. Okay, so this, this movie is referential to everything and meant nothing. I told you that this was like Boudriard reading Caddyshack word for word, and I stand by that. Or this was this was more like visually speaking, this was more like Dolly doing Ghostbusters, and it. I let's just get into it. <laughs> we start with what feels like a very familiar scene of a man in a sick coat and fedora walking through a jungle, accompanied by others. The least Jewish Jufro in history, just hanging out from under that hat. Look. It's shot for shot an Indiana Jones movie. Yes, absolutely. One thing I love in this that I've seen in other movies cracks my shit up every time mm -hmm. is at one point someone goes to betray the Indiana Jones character that Al is playing. Mm -hmm. He turns around, shoots them, and their arm falls off in such a hokey way. Yeah, it's very Monty Python. Yes, 
They also do that in Black Dynamite. And just every damn time it gets me of how bad an effect it really is. <laughs> oh, cracks my shit up. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so so the effects in this are... Okay, so this was 1989. Not exactly a banner year for special effects. These were bad even for the time. Like, these were on purpose bad. Yeah, but it sets up expectations for what kind of movie this is. Extremely silly. Yes. So the Indiana Jones thing where he like takes the monkey idol and like replaces it really quick with a bag of sand and that doesn't fucking work. We do all that and he's running from the boulder and a guy gets hit by a train outside of the cave and that was funny. But then, you know, everybody just continued on with their day, I guess. He's running from the boulder and he gets smushed flat by the boulder and that's when we realize that he's actually daydreaming at his day job. Flipping burgers. Well, I say flipping burgers. Burning fries. Yeah. We find out that he has a lot of trouble holding down a job because he is an imaginative person and frequently daydreams to the detriment of his labor, which is fine. Fuck jobs. Hey, look, neurodivergence. I'm. We, we didn't have that word for it in 1989, but goddamn, buddy. So his buddy Bob tries to, like, shake him out of it, and it... Well, it's too late. He's already fucked up the job and decides to complain about his boss in a way that uh, doesn't hold up. Nope. She's a bigger gal and they are commenting on it in a very detrimental way. And she handily displays why that is a bad idea by chucking them both apparently about 60 feet vertical and they are fired. I should clarify, Weird Al's name in this is George, his friend who's played by an actor named David Bowe. I'm assuming that's the pronunciation. Very close to Bowie. Oh, is it just without the I? Yes. Ah, nice. Plays Bob. Yeah, so George and Bob. They return to their apartment, which is in the same building as a karate dojo. In fact, it is right next door. So occasionally... Terrible things happen, like, for example, somebody punches through the drywall, which allows him to check the time. So funny. Here's also where we meet a guy named Cooney. Cooney is the owner of the martial arts establishment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's kind of a prick, but not to the audience. He's, he's, no, I'm I'm comfortable saying he's a prick. Yes. But like, he, he makes fun of his students. He's like, stupid they're so stupid and it's not it doesn't come off as supremely asshole-ish because he says it in a kind of silly way here's the thing though somebody flies out of the window by the way this dojo is on the second story (laughs) so somebody flies out of the window and kuni comes out and george is like hey kuni it's a beginner's class today yeah it's like yeah they're so stupid i'm like don't know anything what are you talking about (laughs) of course they are yeah so fun story about me i used to take filipino martial arts and filipino martial arts is a little bit different from your standard martial art it's in recognition of the fact that like if you're using a martial art you probably need a weapon so whereas things like karate and taekwondo are like very like open hand stuff and unarmed fighting is like the first focus. And then like weapon forms come much later. Kali is the other way around. 
So they're like, hey, welcome to day one. Here's a 12-inch knife and a big-ass stick. You're going to need these. And I got my ass kicked by like a succession of 12-year-old Filipino girls. So like, that's day one shit, man. They're not stupid. They just don't know anything. (laughs) Right. As Sophia mentioned, hand comes through the wall. George checks the time and realizes he is late to meeting his girlfriend, Terry. Yes. So Terry is, mm, Terry, I don't really have anything to say about Terry. She's a little bit upset that he can't hold down a job and like is trying to encourage him to like focus up and make something of himself and bemoans the fact that, oh, if only you could find a creative job, just she might as well have looked straight into camera and said it. Yeah. While she says that, though, he takes the mashed potatoes she has prepared and recreates Close Encounters with the Third Kind by making the mashed potato mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Do you think he likes movies? He might like movies. Buddy, I gotta tell you, there's a job for you. <laughs> yes. The pay is shit, though. <laughs> Also, here's where I noted this is going to be prevalent throughout. A lot of this movie relies on the idea that screaming is funny. Yeah. Well, Weird Al screaming is funny. Yes. I mean, hey, Will Ferrell built a career off of that. That's true. I hate that that's true. But also, he he built a career off of, like, the possibility that he might actually be brain damaged. That's, like, 60% of his characters. Yes. But also, if you look at his entire career, Will Ferrell is a legitimately talented actor. Oh, yeah. We'll see that in another movie on our list. Yeah, we will. But he is not relevant to this movie, so we will move on. Yeah. So is this where we go to the party? Yes. Okay, so we have the weirdest cut in the universe, and we're at a party. And this is George's aunt and uncle are apparently, well... His uncle is a professional gambler and doing all right. He's doing all right. He's, he's hanging out with the big wigs in the community and he hears that he's won a TV station. A UHF TV station, which apparently stands for ultra high frequency. Yeah, which in the scheme of things is not, but that's just what that band is called. Right. And it's not really relevant in 2022. <laughs> The idea, though, is a local TV station, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the important thing. This is NPR, but more boring. Now, his Uncle Harvey doesn't care. And he's like, yeah, I just won it, but I'm going to have to sell it because it sucks. Yeah. And so his aunt is like, well, hang on a second. I know somebody who can manage that. Well, it's funny. She starts off by saying, I like the idea of owning a TV station. Like, it's very selfish and Uh, bougie. No, she is 100% a gold digger. But she knows someone who's creative, who needs a job, who can manage the station. And that's the power of networking and also nepotism. Yes. Nepotism more than networking, but... Absolutely. The networking part was sarcastic. Networking gets you in the door. Nepotism gets you the job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he, he goes to take a look at this place and it looks like a place that you go... To overdose on heroin. Absolutely. It's grim. It's in the middle of a cornfield, in the middle of nowhere. And George's girlfriend, 
is rightly alarmed by this. She's the only person in this movie with a lick of goddamn sense. Bob has a little bit of sense about him, but I digress. No, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. But Bob's also a giant pushover. Yes. <laughs> so so he goes in, takes a look, and he meets Philo. Philo introduces himself as the chief engineer of the TV station. Why does a TV station need a chief engineer? I don't entirely know. I want to assume it's because there's a lot of electronic equipment there that probably needs to be repaired. But I just feel like that's not called a chief, not necessarily an engineer. But I guess you are right. That would be like sound engineering. Yeah, but they do have one. And this weird guy, he looks like he's going to make a lampshade out of you, which is in keeping with the overall vibe of this Children of the Corn ass building that they're, well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre ass building that they're in. There's not much going on on this station. No, it's like almost entirely reruns, apparently. Yeah. They're playing Mr. Ed when, uh, when oh, he... Yeah. There's a thing where Philo asks George to hold some cables so that he can test a machine and sends a bunch of electricity through him. Yep. And again, the effects are not amazing, but it's like, it's charming. Yeah. If you're willing to buy into the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... You know, another word might be hokey, but <laughs> hokey on purpose, though. This was not meant to be a, 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 an effects-driven masterpiece. This movie is free on YouTube, by the way. Found that out. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, it just demonstrates that he's a smart guy who does technical stuff. And then I don't think anything else happens that night. We find out that, that Philo lives at the station. Yeah. And then they go home and come in the next morning. Yep. This time it's George and Bob. George and Bob. George and Bob come back in the morning. The door, one of the hinges is missing and the door is split about three quarters from the bottom to the top. So it doesn't work quite right. But we meet the receptionist. Her name's Pam. Her name's Pam. And Pam is, again, that Marissa Tomei character. Who's got the accent? It's so baffling that you reference another actress when this actress is iconic for her voice. I hate 80s movies. What the fuck is she iconic for doing? The Nanny. This is Fran Drescher. It's Fran Drescher. Holy shit. Sorry. I I, I didn't recognize it because she's not doing this. <laughs> okay. So Fran Drescher. By the way, a full-blown late 80s smoke show in this movie. True immediately launches into a tirade about how she was supposed to go to news because obviously that's where I belong. By the way, this is happening somewhere in LA and she has the strongest Brooklyn accent I've ever heard. Bernie Sanders is like, okay, you need to tone it down a little. <laughs> so she's going to the prom with Kyle Masterson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm answering phone for the Ghostbusters. What do you want? Yeah, so she's complaining that she should have gone to news, but she's been stuck doing this receptionist job for like two years. Because the station keeps changing ownership. Yes. No one can like actually handle the fucking thing. She's got a legit gripe. It just, mm -hmm. you know, went through several layers of her bullshit before it got there. I think this scene ends with the station receiving a package meant for a guy named R.J. Fletcher. Yeah, and so... 
Pam drops off the package with George and says, they're always delivering the stuff from Channel 8, our network affiliate. So George is like, oh, I'll go over there and drop it off. It's, it'd be nice to meet the competition. Pam's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you want to do that, George. They're, they're really mean over there. Smash cut to RJ Fletcher ripping the shit out of his son. Truly. <laughs> the main gripe he has is that he was supposed to have a report about market research. Listen, I worked as a data analyst, and even I know that like people get way uptight about reports. It's like, okay, it's not that important. He wanted a research report on his desk. It is not there. Kyle? Yes. Who is RJ's son supposed to remind you of? He reminded me a lot of Christian Bale. No, no, I, I don't mean in terms of like what he looks like. I mean in terms oh. of the character. Keeping in mind that this came out in 1989 and has some fairly anti-capitalist tones. I, I'm completely blanking. A certain former president of the United States. Ronnie Riggs? Donald Trump. Oh, of course. What the fuck? Yes. It becomes apparent at the end. We'll get there. Yes. Yes. Except there is one point where he makes a joke. And I'm like, actually, the sun's not so shitty. (laughs) So the joke here is that Donald Trump is as he was made. His dad was just a genuine piece of shit. Like, imagine the piece of shit that you have to be to dump so much trauma on somebody that they become Donald goddamn Trump. Yeah, so, bad guy. And, like, it was kind of an open secret that, wow, what a bastard. So, I think it feels to me like this is referencing that. Okay. Who's to say if it's intentional? Weird Al, probably, but... Exactly. But we couldn't get him. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, so this report, is it's gone. It's fucking gone. It's not on the desk. It's not in the trash can. It's nowhere. So not in the trash can, you say. Aha. Get the janitor in here. So they pull in this guy who is obviously a couple screws loose. This is Stanley Spadowski, played by, as I once heard him referred to as, Racist Kramer. Which is to say, Michael Richards. Oh, fuck. It is Michael Richards. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is a less coherent Cosmo Kramer. (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. Cosmo Kramer is splitting atoms in his garage compared to this guy. But, (laughs) yeah. So, absolutely insane person. Drags him into the office and is like, all right, there was a report on this desk. What happened to it? I was like, I didn't see a report. So you stole it. Well, you're fired. And they chuck him out. Well, they yelled a lot more. I'm better than that. So they chucked him out and stole his mop, which apparently was a family heirloom. Yeah, he suggests that it was his own mop, and they're like, but it's ours, or something. Well, it's ours now. Yes. Given how absolutely shitty these corporate news people are, I'm inclined to believe that it was indeed Stanley's mop. Yep. And so this last part happens where George goes in and is friendly and Sorry. Button on the thing with Stanley, though. RJ goes, sits down, feels something uncomfortable in his chair, looks. The report was in his chair the whole time. Yep. And just like, well, words were said. And those words stand. I could not produce a bigger piece of shit. (laughs) If I, what would it be? Bunch of fiber, I guess? Because laxatives would make it loose. 
if I had a giant plate of goat vindaloo followed by a full-ass chipotle burrito (laughs) chugged down with just nuclear hot sauce, I could not produce a bigger piece of shit. (laughs) As Sophia was saying, though, George shows up. Everyone's like, Mr. Fletcher, you got something. Who cares? And he goes, hey, RJ. And everybody's just like, crickets. He just like, you could almost hear the, like, what I would have done here if I were making a comedic movie is I would have had like the hinge squeaking noise as he turned to face George. (laughs) (laughs) But you could basically hear it. And just like, hey, you got a package. I'm from fucking UHF fucking, are you... Channel 62. Channel 62. And, well, RJ's pissed. Because nobody calls him RJ. So, basically accuses him of trespassing to get him to leave. And stealing mail. Oh, and stealing mail, yeah. On his way out, he sees Stanley fighting with RJ's shitty son. And takes pity on him. And he says, well, Channel 62 could use a janitor. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Place a fucking wreck. So Stanley gets a job. Is just real weird at George. Yeah. He's very overeager. Yes. To the point of aggression. <laughs> Anywho, we try and become a real news station. Yes. Okay. So this is where Miss Fran Drescher is waiting outside the city hall. And her cameraman has not yet arrived. Her cameraman arrives and is short for a little person. Yes. Not much to say. His name is Noodles. Like, that look and that name, you get his deal. Yeah, he's a little person. His name is Noodles. Has a big camera. The angle is going to be all fucky-wucky, but I'm sure he's a competent cameraman. Yeah. Anyway, as they go over to the mayor who's leaving City Hall, Noodles gets tripped and his camera gets busted. This is due to the Channel 8 chuds. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Which is, by the way, another movie we need to put on the list. Fuck you. <laughs> yes. No, you're right. I know. Yeah, so they get tripped by these assholes. And he tells Pam that... What, 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 is, what is the shitty thing that he says? I have it. I'll go for it. Rods don't belong in broadcasting. And so Hamela calls up Channel 8 to say, like... This is incredibly unprofessional. What the fuck is wrong with you? And RJ, being a real piece of shit, goes, How many times do I gotta tell him not to call chicks broads? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) God, I hate the 80s. Anyway. Next, we're doing a local interview. So George is interviewing a shop teacher. This is comedian Emo Phillips, who looks like Slenderman fucked Rob Schneider. Yeah. Oh, Weird Al had a tour like this past year, and Emo Phillips came along with him for like a lot of it and opened for him. Oh, neat. Yeah. So they're buddy, like they're they've been buddies at least. But also he's the kind of comedian that if you like Weird Al, you'll probably like Emo Phillips. But if, if that's not your thing, it's not your thing. He's very bizarre. Fair enough. I feel like small doses would be fine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he's walking George through the process of using a um Table saw. Tape. <laughs> and 
you know, he's he's a kind of a he's kind of a sleepy kind of shop teacher. And while he's cutting, he's you know kind of like talking to George, and then you know subtly saws his goddamn thumb off. I don't believe he screams, but everyone else is freaking out, and he's just like, "Well, my face is red. How boneheaded!" I think it's on the floor. <laughs> this interview is not going well. Is the point? <laughs> that's, that's certainly. So you do okay. A little bit of how the sausage is made. When an interview is not going well, you can always cut to an ad. Yes, and this one is for Spatula City. I have a note about Spatula City. Spatula City. <laughs> we'll we'll come back to it. Spatula City is it is a very specific kind of commercial. Yes, it is. And apparently, I was reading the trivia before this just to get some interesting tidbits. Mm-hmm. There's a line in the commercial that's like, I love Spatula so much, I bought the company. That is a real thing that happened with, like, some razor company. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think I know what it's talking about there. But it's like saying spatulas are great for every occasion. I'm pretty sure they say bar mitzvahs in there. Yep. <laughs> Definitely imply Christmas and, like, Valentine's Day. Yeah. Now, look, I love kitchen utensils as much as the next gal. My roommate bought an air fryer, and we loved the goddamn thing. I have a very fancy rolling pin that I adore because it works great. Spatulas are a dime a dozen. Almost literally. Oh, so you're not taking advantage of their sale? Or if you buy nine spatulas, the tenth one costs just a penny? No. And you see, folks, this is where comedy comes in because no one would ever make a store that's just spatulas as evidenced by Sophia's reaction. And yet... In this world, someone has made a commercial for just that. Again, there's a statement in this, and we'll get back to it. Don't you worry. I did some reading. As we come back from commercial, we see that George is trying his hand at being a children's entertainer. It's not going great, because children are fickle shits. Yeah. They're very bored. Yes. He especially would not do well currently, because children, or I should say teenagers that's what I do mean. Hate, effort, and George is putting in a lot of effort. Although, that said, so I have a couple of friends who are in that demographic, and I don't always understand their humor because it is essentially, I refer to it as neo-Dadaist. And so if you've ever listened to Weird Al and went, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it would be a huge hit with the Zoomers. They would love that shit. He does a couple of weird, gross things. One of them is Bob dresses up as a clown and he feeds him, quote-unquote, cookies, but it's actually dog treats. Again, when things are going poorly, cut to an ad. Speaking of... This segment of the podcast is brought to you by La Croix. La Croix. La Croix. It tastes like the static channels on your television. It's like... Drinking water while thinking of a fruit. <laughs> it's like somebody was shouting the name of a fruit from another room. La Croix. Put it in your face. And we are back. We are not sponsored by La Croix. <laughs> or La Croix is probably... La Croix. La Croix. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite French footwear. La Croix. 
We're also sponsored by Crocs. <laughs> the next thing we see is Terry at her job where Channel 62 is playing in this dentist office that she works at. I guess she's a dentist, maybe a dental assistant, not hugely important. A hygienist or something anyway. Yes. And Channel 62 decides to take a moment to read a special bulletin, which is asking her on a date. Well, it's saying, hey, it's your birthday. Here's the plans I made for your birthday. Right. Okay. I should have specified it's a birthday date. Yeah. Look, I've been single for a long time. Okay. I don't know. From there, we go to an ad about funeral plots. Oh, yeah. This was truly surreal because, okay, there are such things as sloppy funerals. Typically, the sloppiness happens in the funeral home. Putting a box in the ground and covering it with dirt is the easy part. And yet, I've seen corncob TV. I know how many people just break out of coffins. Please tell me you get that joke. I don't. That's fine. That is from I Think You Should Leave, the Netflix sketch comedy show. Oh, yeah. I've been told. (laughs) I saw the hot dog sketch because I've already seen the hot dog sketch. Such a good one. There's a fake ad that Tim Robinson does for corncob TV and in particular, this show, Coffin Flop, where it's people, like, the bottoms of coffins falling out. And it's so bizarre that I'm like, you know what? Channel 62 and Corncob TV should do a collab. So, on that note, I was briefly in the Hevra Kadisha in Des Moines. And I've had that anxiety about... So, so for the, the Goyish listeners among you, traditionally, Jewish caskets are very simple, plain not very sturdy looking wood. The idea is that you just... Everything decomposes together. So you decompose just real fast. So I did once, like, I was helping a woman and, like, we put her in the casket and the casket started, like, making noises. And I was like, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? Fortunately, it was just normal settling, but like, I was like looking at the other ladies. I was like, hey, what do we, what do we do? And they're like, that's fine. That's just, that happens. So I thought we were going to see one of those. (laughs) The next thing that happens, I believe Bob says we are going to be out of money by the end of the week. Yep. George is trying to come up with stuff and ends up falling asleep. And so we cut to a song parody because it's the Weird Al movie really fucking hate the 80s do you hate the song or the show more yeah okay look the style the musical taste the shit that we thought was entertaining it was all bad i was reminded of the futurama thing i'm an 80s guy oh god i forgot about that yes but the music parody is off of dire straits money for nothing and it parodies the beverly hillbillies tv show yeah, it does. Yeah, so he wakes up with this having happened, contributing absolutely nothing. And he gets a call from his girlfriend. He's in the restaurant, has been for a little while, and is so furious with him that she breaks up with him on the phone. Dumps his ass. Yeah, dumped. Good for Terry for standing up for herself. Honestly, yes. This is a serious girl boss moment. There's also a part where Stanley wakes him up and, like, starts saying some weird shit. 
Yeah, like, okay, I cannot emphasize enough how much this guy is supposed to remind you of the home. Like, if you've ever actually, like, those guys that are on the street and they're, like, legitimately, they've got mental health issues. If you've ever had a long talk with one of those guys and it gets weird, this is what this guy, like, this entire character is that. So next day, George is trying to do his children's entertainer show and he is newly single, and the station is not going well. He is depressed. There is nothing funnier than a depressed clown. It's amazing. But doctor, I'm Pagliacci. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, the kids are not into it. So like one of the kids spits on him, and he's just like, all right, all right, I'm I'm done. And as he walks off the stage, he's just like, Hey, Stanley, you want to try it? And Stanley's like, well, sure, I'll try. And he's like, yeah, you're on. So him and Bob go to a bar. He goes, you don't drink. Yeah, but I've been meaning to start. (laughs) That's exactly what you want to hear. So, yeah, so they pick up drinking. And all of a sudden, it would appear that people are getting very excited about something on their television. Turns out, Stanley... Knows how to work a crowd of kids, of like six kids. And apparently grown men. And apparently grown men. Which, uh, it's grim. The whole thing's really grim. He makes a point before George leaves. He's like, I can still be a janitor, right? He's like, yeah. Or maybe that's later. Not important. But in his bizarre ramblings as host of this show, he goes into this metaphor And I said, this is like a first draft of Forrest Gump, because it goes, life is like a mop. Yeah, I like the first draft of Forrest Gump metaphor, because it it really fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he gets stirred up, though. And he's like, sometimes you just got to say, these floors are dirty as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that apparently gets everyone sufficiently riled up that Channel 62 is now popular. Yeah, and we need more shows. You can't just survive on one show. Yeah, so what is one to do? Well, let's go through a few of these shows. First, we have Wheel of Fish. Can't believe that ever happened. With Cooney. Yep. I can't understand this game show, really, because you spin a wheel that has a bunch of fish on it. Where it lands is like what fish you could get or you could take what's in the box. Well, okay. This might actually make sense if you're Jewish. No, but I'm saying there's no, like, competition in it that you would typically see in one of these shows. I mean, yeah. Okay, so so we didn't see a competitive element to it, but we saw other contestants. Yes. So it was kind of Wheel of Fish. It was kind of like a Wheel of Fortune thing. So, like, the competition is, like, how well you do your, I don't know, speed run. Sure. That's what I'm assuming anyway. Yes. But, I mean, there's fish for fish. Like, that matters, again, if you're Jewish and, like, you land on swordfish. But for most people, it's just like, oh, the real difference between a halibut and a red snapper. This contestant takes what's in the box. Absolutely nothing. You're so stupid. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, ma'am. I said good day, man. Yes. Then we get Philo doing his take on Bill Nye. 
Secrets of the Universe. Yeah, sure. We don't spend much time with that. He doesn't have the charisma of Bill Nye. Like, say what you want about Bill Nye. He's fun. Engaging. Yeah. Like, even Carl Sagan had a very different energy than Bill Nye, but people were really engaged with Carl Sagan. Well, yeah, well, he, he was more like, I have been both smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol since 3 o'clock this afternoon, and now we're going to talk about space. And finally, we have Raul. Okay, this one, this one. It's a crime against nature. It is a crime against nature. I have seen some of these local access programs where people are like handling the wild critters that they've made a hobby of taking care of. Don't ever do that. But this guy sucks. He tries to teach poodles to fly. If you know anything about canine anatomy, you might know that they are ill-suited to the activity of flight, as evidenced by the massive pile of dogs outside. Oh, it's so many dead dogs. So many dead dogs outside. Now, if that upsets you, it is not particularly gruesome. Yeah, they're clearly stuffed. Yes. So I don't mean to say this would be triggering in that way, but it is a pile of what are meant to be dogs. Also, this man is not George Lopez. He looks a lot like George Lopez. This is not George Lopez. He looks like George Lopez, but like really thin. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so that, that's completely insane. We get through those. There's a quick thing where George calls Terry and begs her to take him back. It's exceedingly pathetic. Oh my God. Like, dude, it's bad. But I feel like this is upsetting Sophia. So we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We get, no, this is not where we get it. I said, looks like 62 could be a threat to the networks because they're getting oh, very what? popular. Yeah. So we mentioned they were getting kind of popular. How popular? Dunno. Need the metrics. We get the metrics. Oh, I have that coming in just a bit. Oh, did I skip something? A little bit. Two things I want to say. One, Spadowski's Playhouse, which is what they call Stanley's show, is super chaotic. A bunch of, like, there's people in the audience, but also people just doing stuff. One kid finds a marble in oatmeal, and that means he gets to drink from the fire hose. And it's like, what is this? Okay. Yo. All right. From the fire hose, like, if you've never had the experience of being sprayed with a fire hose, you might not understand how um, unpleasant that is. A pressurized? It is used for crowd control. It hurts. Cut back to Raul real quick. He has more animals coming in, and it includes some badgers. And he goes, badgers? Badgers? We don't need no stinking badgers. For some reason, they decided to reference Treasure of Sierra Madre. Never comes up again. Nope. And I don't know shit about that movie, except that this quote appears on a lot of like lists of famous movie quotes. Yeah, I don't honestly know this one. I'm not a huge fan of Westerns. Uh, a few other things. George sends a bunch of like Valentine's shit oh, to Terry's wow. house. It's super creepy. Yeah, okay. Look, I get it, especially with porch pirates being a phenomenon of our modern age. It's difficult to trust that when you send somebody something that they will receive it. But don't break into their house to do it. 
Then we get one of our two diegetic movie spoofs. Conan, the librarian. Oh, right. Nothing to say. I just wanted to mention that they do do a Conan the Barbarian parody called Conan the Librarian. Yo, okay. This is a trailer for a show that is coming to Channel 62. It is buck wild. In the trailer, he splits a dude in half with a claymore for returning books late. Someone asks him where to find a book and he grabs them by the collar and goes, Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Also, this reminds me, there is a website someone made called nestflix.fun. And it's a wiki of sorts of fake movies that exist in real movies. So, like, you can look up Conan the Librarian and it'll have a few bits of information, including what piece of actual media it's found in. It's like, oh, it's neat to look through. It's very fun if you love shit like that. Like, they have a bunch of 30 Rock ones because, of course... Yeah, 30 Rock was extremely referential. Yep, they have a handful from BoJack Horseman. Mm -hmm. I know they have a few from Entourage. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Any, like, Hollywood-based thing has a bunch in there. Angels with Filthy Souls, famously. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) From here, though, we get to George putting up the schedule. I didn't write any of these down, but they're very odd programming. Yeah, I meant to write these down too because they were just bug fuck. Just insane stuff. And they're taking huge swings and they can afford to take huge swings because they're getting some success. How much success? Well, the ratings come in. And he says, don't tell me we actually got on that because I assume there's a cutoff. George, we're number one. Whoa! What? Yeah, so they're doing fine. They're doing just fine. I think they cut through like one of the commercials that a TV station would have of like, here's the shows we have. Check out our lineup. Mm-hmm. And one of them is celebrity mud wrestling and they get fucking Gorbachev. Well, fake Gorbachev, but they got fucking Gorbachev. Badass. So if I'm oh. mistaken, I'm oh, sorry, God. That's why I wrote that. Okay. Earlier I had noted that channel 62 could be a threat. That's someone telling RJ Fletcher that they're, like, hearing that 62 is picking up steam. Oh, yeah. It's getting more popular. Yeah. It's the dude with the insane hat. Yes. And RJ says, take that ridiculous thing off. And he takes off a mustache. <laughs> well, the mustache was foul, too. Yes. But it's a joke. Yeah. My point being, RJ, you can't be too mad that you got beat out. Someone fucking warned you. Bum, 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 bum. Yep. So, if I'm not mistaken, from here... We go to, what's his name? The uncle. Harvey. Harvey. I knew it was like Harvey or Hal or something like that. Looks like Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yeah. Might actually be Rodney Dangerfield. I don't think he is, but it's not. Yeah. So he gets a call while hanging out in his pool from his, I don't know, bookie? Yeah. It's a guy called Mr. Big, right? Big Louie, I think. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah, Big Louie. Big Louie is doing a Blofeld thing. I was wondering what that was referencing. So, yeah, in the first couple of movies in which Ernst Stavro Blofeld appeared, famously, you don't see him. And the reveal was kind of anticlimactic. So my mind went to fucking Claw from Inspector Gadget, because we find out he has the fake hand. But yeah, yeah, so... It does an Inspector Gadget thing where Big Louie also has a 
severed hand that he can attach several accoutrements onto. But it turns out that he's not doing so well at the track anymore. How badly? 75 grand. In 1989 money. In 1989 money, which? So how much is that, Sophia? $75,000 in 1989 is the equivalent in purchasing power to about $179,520.97 today. Oof, that 97 cents is gonna kick my ass. Everything else is fine. <laughs> so, Harvey owes a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Yeah, about a sixth of a million dollars. So, how's he gonna get himself out of this one? Well, you know, he does happen to own a particularly popular television station. And someone who's interested happens to call him up just after he gets off the phone with Big Louie. That's true. R.J. Fletcher calls him. Fletcher? Fletcher? Fletcher. Fletcher. Okay. Yeah, R.J. Fletcher calls him right after that, by purest coincidence, and says, Hey, uh, you still got that TV station? He's like, Yeah, I'll give it to you for $75,000. Cut from there, though, to the crew in Channel 62, and suddenly R.J.'s coming through with a tape measure. (laughs) Yeah, which is perhaps the biggest piece of shit way that you could possibly say, like, Hey, by the way, I'm buying you out. So... Also unsurprising. I don't know why this matters, but this is a point they make, is that if RJ buys the station because of laws, I don't know if they're local or higher, he can't own two news stations, so Channel 62 has to be demolished. It seems like a hat on a hat with stakes, but sure. I mean, yeah. it pretty Well, it pretty much is. But I'm trying to think, like, I'm bad at the law as my admissions to criminal behavior before kind of indicate. But I'm thinking that might have something to do with, it might be in the same realm as like non-compete clauses, antitrust stuff. Yeah. The way they say it though, it almost sounds like a local thing because it's like you can't own two news stations in the same town, which sounds like a local law. Yeah, yeah, that does, that is, that is a local ass law. Not important what level it is. At all. And the fact that it's going to get demolished Again, is kind of a hat on a hat of stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're seasoning a lemon with a lime here. So cut back to Harvey. He is leaving. His wife is like, Where are you going? And he's like, I just got some business to take care of. He gets a call and George tells his aunt what's happening. E what? <laughs> Harvey, get back in here. And like on his way to the airport, he's he just like, Alright, I'm gonna go get my ass chewed, I'll be right back. Can you wait for a minute? This was back in the day where, like, you could get away with, like, maybe five minutes before they started charging you for the wait. Nowadays, you're like, hey, can you wait? You're like, yeah, yeah, let me start that wait counter. $35 for the drop. Every minute is another $35. Is that true of taxis? I know for sure ride shares. There is a wait fee okay. for taxis. I don't think it's as bad as ride shares. Okay, of course. But Harvey agrees that if George can get him the money he needs in cash by Friday night, 10 p.m., which is like a day and a half, yep, then he won't stop. Yeah, he'll let George pay it out instead of selling it to RJ. So, fortunately, George is a creative type because $75,000 in a day and a half in 1989 is brown trousers time. In terms of, it's a technical yeah. term that we use in the nonprofit sector. 
That's what the funders call, uh-oh. <laughs> couple things. RJ finds out about this. He's so pissed. And it's like, go fuck yourself, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Philo installs some spy equipment in Channel 8. I don't remember what prompts it, but he does. I think what happened was that Channel 8 was starting to undermine 62. And George was just kind of like moaning to the heavens that like, if only we knew what they were doing in there. And so Philo was just like, I'm your Huckleberry. To bridge these scenes that actually matter, we do get another like commercial for a Channel 62 show where George is a hard-hitting journalist, but it comes off more like Jerry Springer. Yeah. He's interviewing Satan about <laughs> kids. Satanism was invented by Anton LaVey, and it is essentially a sex cult. Cool. Anyway, also it ends with like him going down a line of guests, all apparently in the same place, and one looks probably a sex worker. I think there was like a construction person, a child, like a Girl Scout. And a Klansman. Yeah, a Klansman. And then they all start fighting. And it's very funny. That wraps up. We get back to important things. Plots things. Yes. So, as I mentioned, in terms of fundraising, this is yikes. So what's what's to do? The same thing that everyone in the 80s and 90s did when they needed money. They held a fundraising drive. This is a fairly low effort way to make money back in the day. Interestingly, they say this is not a donation, but you are buying shares of the channel. So this is more like an IPO? Yeah, back when the SEC was just like doing all the coke in Manhattan and nobody gave a shit. Right. When companies need capital, they sell off stock. That's just what that do. Yeah. We get the early parts. It goes decently well early on, but it's also very clear that Stanley is the driving force behind this telethon. And this is clear to everyone, including the folks over at Channel 8. And RJ is like, all right, enough kneecappers, go cap some knees. I'll say it now. This is so dumb, because if you are indeed selling off shares of the network, not network, the channel, RJ should have just bought a controlling interest. It's not difficult. But he's also... I get the feeling that he's just like a really stingy motherfucker on top of everything else. Right. So Stanley gets kidnapped. Donations slow to a grinding halt. Yep. With the upside down yodeler. Stanley is so damn annoying that his kidnappers contemplate killing him. Kyle, I have a story for you. What possible way could you relate this to your own life, Sophia? This is not actually in relation to my life. Okay, okay. But this is a story of our people. Okay. Afghanistan, bad place to be Jewish. But there are Jewish people there. And, you know, Taliban do what Taliban do. They arrested the last Jew in all of Afghanistan. And he argued with them so irritatingly that they let him go. Woo! Woo! Scoreboard. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Again, connective tissue, we get our second diegetic movie trailer, movie spoof. 
Gandhi 2. Oh, yeah, God. Okay, Gandhi 2. Jesus Christ. He's back, and he's pissed. He's hungry for blood. He also knows how to party. Goes into a restaurant, orders a steak. (laughs) Probably not, but okay. Listen, we're already making this so bizarre. Yeah, well, yeah. this So far removed. Who gives a fuck that he probably wouldn't have eaten beef? Sorry, he certainly would not have eaten beef. Yeah, for so many reasons. This is Gandhi if he was Shaft. Yeah. It's like, we've seen if Shaft was Jewish. That rules. <laughs> Fucking owns. Yeah. So, okay, I'll buy it. Sure. Everybody gets to be Shaft once. Actually, there's already, well, that's a Tamil Shaft. So there is a series of Bollywood movies that are just Chef's Kiss that explore the idea of what if Shaft, but ancient Indian. So would you say Shaft's Kiss? Shaft's Kiss, yes. Bahubali is the name of this epic saga, and it is bonkers. I highly recommend it. Anyway. We're now in the daytime. This is Friday morning. There's a this weird panhandler that we've seen before. We didn't bring him up earlier. He's asking... For money, RJ gives him one penny. He goes, thanks, mister. Yeah. I honestly thought this guy was going to be just a Mel Brooksian gag. Yeah. Because, like, the first time we see him, he's like, hey, change, change, you got any change? And George gives him some change. He counts it. He's like, 97, 98, 99, a dollar. Okay, here you go. And puts a dollar bill into his hand and just walks off. And I figured that was just going to be like, a Mel Brooks gag. Yeah. But no, he's back and still like, what's the joke? I don't know, man. So he says, thank you for a penny. This is completely sincere and will pay off in like 15 minutes. Bizarrely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The real reason though, that we're here at channel eight is that Terry has come to plead on George's behalf for RJ to knock it the fuck off. And RJ immediately dismisses her. Yes. And in doing so, talks shit on the community. That was probably not wise. Well, you know, he didn't know that Philo had spy equipment, watching, and recording. Congratulations, that's the end of the movie. Now go away. No. So, yeah, he, he gets got talking shit on the community because he's an asshole. But, you know... Terry has to go away empty-handed, which is not great. They're coming up short, and all he has to do is make it till 10 o'clock, RJ. He has to make it till 10 o'clock without them hitting that $75,000 mark, and they're good to go. Yeah, and they still don't have Stanley, so it's fine. Yeah, well, Stanley accidentally does a thing. It's the power of love. Mm-hmm. So... His blindfold falls off and it's tickling his nose and gets an itch and starts complaining very loudly about it. So the guy comes and starts like threatening him. But like a greasy asshole, he's leaning against the door frame to do it. So Stanley can see out. And what does he see? What does he see? His mop! His fucking mop! He breaks the chair into splinters and flies out of there taking the greaser with him and just beats the ever-loving snot out of people with his mop. Yeah. There is 100% a Star Wars lightsaber sound effect. (laughs) 
there's occasionally times I've seen things that use a sound effect that I recognize from another thing. And it's like, okay, that's weird. Like, the, that one's super obvious. There's a game called Multiverses mm-hmm. that's like Warner Brothers trying to do a Smash Bros. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Anyway, there's a sound effect they use sometimes that, like, I'm like, that's the same fucking sound they use in Smash Bros. when you hit someone with the bat. Yeah. I was like, what? Hearing sound effects you don't expect in other places is interesting. Mm-hmm. But now, well, I'm going to skip over this. Stanley does a fight scene through the office. He's just, he goes straight up cruise missile on these motherfuckers. Like, the place is a mess. Philo lets George and Bob know where Stanley is, because now he knows, having eyes into Channel 8. And so it's time for another movie parody. This one, not diegetic. Yeah. Rambo. We're doing Rambo. So this is extremely clearly a fake muscle suit. Yes. It's very fun. (laughs) Very fun. And yeah, so we do that for a, a hot minute. The two funny gags in this is there's one where... George is, like, drawing the bow and walking towards a guy who's shooting at him, and he gets within mm, five feet at most, and the guy's still firing, and it's not hitting him, and just point-blank does an exploding arrow thing. Yep. The other good gag is that as they're leaving, they get to the chopper, get to the chopper, and someone fires at George. He catches it with his teeth. It's a big round. Mm-hmm. chews it up, and then does, like, machine gun spit. God, this fucking... Great. I don't know what your what your problem is. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fun. I enjoys it. And then, rule of threes, I guess, Cooney comes back to help with the rescue. Yep. And then, I don't... I'm not choreographing the rest of this. It's no. sort of a fight scene. Yeah. They escape. Yeah, they blow up basically all of LA and escape. Kidnapping didn't work. Gotta try something different to take down Channel 62. So let's run a hit piece. Yeah. Which, okay. Philo, my dude. I will say that his reaction here is actually funny in that he has absolutely no reaction to it. Like, he's watching it. His expression does not change. And he just, like, pushes a series of buttons and turns some dials with absolutely no change of expression whatsoever, and it just breaks Channel 8's transmission. Two comments here. First off, corporate news attacking independent journalism in 1989? No. Perish the motherfucking thought. The other is, this is a classic conservative news station, which is to say, really needs that base, but also utterly despises that base. Yep. Yep, this is Fox News, 100%. We're also sponsored by MSNBC, as it turns out. Cool. <laughs> Rachel Maddow, leave me alone. <laughs> Stop emailing I'm me. I'm, I'm fine with that. No. Yeah, MSNBC paid us to talk shit about Fox News. Oh, like we wouldn't do that for free. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pay me, I'll take it. But exactly. Anyway. Yeah, so at this point, yeah, Philo just bricks the transmission. So that didn't really work. So now it's... It's, it's it's time to just go to the station and unplug everything. Yeah. We're in the the last, like, ten minutes of the thing. We're at, like, we're so close. We're not quite there. So, yeah. And and yet, yeah, no, this, this movie's actually paced really, really well. It's just hard to talk about in a timely manner. 
Yes. What happens, though, is 10 o'clock rolls around. Big Louie has shown up, which means Harvey's nervous. And he goes, okay, RJ, I'll take your offer because he needs that money right fucking now. And RJ says, well, I have some things I'd like to say first. It's like, okay, you just shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. But yeah, so so Station is going to make 75 grand. It just needs a couple of more minutes. And two grand more. Two grand more. And Big Louie is not, he's, he's a punctual kind of guy. So all of this, yeah, they go back and forth. And like RJ unplugs everything and the homeless guy comes up and it looks like RJ is one. A homeless guy comes up to George and is like, hey, mister, are you still selling them shares? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'll pay for them. And hands him a stack of cash. $2,000! Exactly the amount of money he needed. So he gets like all the cash, chucks it at Big Louie. Big Louie fucks off. And then RJ's like, what the hell is this? When when, when it signs over the... I keep wanting to call him Hal. I know. Anyway, what's his name? The other H guy signs over the station to George. And then RJ's son runs up and noodles, trips him, falls into a mud puddle and pulls a perfect Donald Trump face. (laughs) The only other thing that I think happens in this movie that is worth talking about is Philo has apparently culminated his time on Earth and it is time for him to return home. And he does an entire ass Beetlejuice and fucks off to space. Dude's an alien. Dude's an alien. Two other points I want to make. A guy from like the FCC. Oh yeah, that's right. Fucks over RJ. He's like, you guys were late on your license renewal. And normally I'm kind of lenient, but I heard what you've been saying lately. And we're revoking your license effective immediately. You're off the air. Waka waka, motherfucker. And then to add the insult to entry, the panhandler comes up and explains that the penny that RJ gave him was incredibly valuable. <laughs> and then this makes sense for something that happened earlier that we didn't bother mentioning. He also goes, and I bought myself a Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> right. So RJ's birthday, his son gets him an off-brown Rolex, and that really pisses him off because he wanted a Rolex Rolex. So... Roll credits, right? Roll credits. George and Terry get back together, roll credits. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a... Is that Gone with the Wind or the Adams? Yes, yes it is. Okay. So they do a Gone with the Wind thing and just like, that's my mom's favorite movie. I find it tiresome. I don't agree with my dad very much, but I prefer Casablanca to Gone with the Wind. Anyway. Really more of a Lawrence of Arabia kind of film snob. Oh, fuck off. I haven't seen any of the, like, AFI top ten. Casablanca is a propaganda film, and just, like, absurdly so. We have roll credits. What do we want to discuss? (laughs) Pulls out a binder. (laughs) Spatula City. I want to discuss Spatula City. Spatula City! I was alive in the 80s. I was very young. When the 80s ended, I was six. I have very few clear memories of the 80s. One of the things that I do remember, goddamn bizarro advertisements. So when you're selling something today, what really sells it is earnestness, right? 
If I say to you, like, look, you and me, we're a lot alike. And I know that I wake up in the morning and I need some caffeine. Well, what I do, I have water and I have this Mio stuff. I just spray a little bit of Mio, this, this caffeinated Mio stuff in my water, and it gets me going. It's perfect. I think you're going to love it. $1.99 a bottle. That's a solid pitch today. In the 80s, it was perfectly acceptable for your eyes to wander in two completely different directions and to just scream at the camera for the entire 30 seconds of the advertisement or have Mikhail Gorbachev serve you pizza, I guess. (sighs) I feel like the perhaps closest analog currently are the, like, Flex tape. That's the commercial I'm thinking yeah. of. So the flex tape thing, that guy, that guy that punched the sex worker in Miami, ShamWow guy, that guy fucking sucks. Flex tape and like it's related products. There's part of a commercial where it goes, to show you how strong flex tape is, and you hear, it goes, I saw this boat in half. And it's like, what does that have to do with flex tape? And it goes, and I repaired it with flex tape. All right, guy. All right, Phil Swift. All I'm saying is if you can saw a boat in half and then repair it with flex tape and it doesn't leak, it's pretty good tape. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, by the way, no, don't do that. Don't try that. That does not work. Yeah, so, so there was this weird performativity about advertisement, but there were also these very, very specific... Things that people did, like in that Spatula City ad, people acted for camera like they would act for stage, if you follow me. Yes, way bigger because you have to play it to back of the house. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, on camera, subtle movements. You don't have to try very hard. For the theater, broad sweeping gestures. Make sure everybody can see and hear everything you say. It's very obnoxious. And the shit that they were hawking for this, obviously today it's hilariously outdated, but it all comes together into this just ennui-ridden sense of just capitalism has always been this shabby. It's always been this shabby. We're just now paying attention to it. And this kind of like is a running theme in the movie. Like, okay, so the movies that are non-diegetically reenacted they're not great movies honestly i mean rambo mm, it's classic but if you've ever seen rambo it's not that good raiders of the lost ark raiders of the lost ark was fine but like it dragged in places yeah and indiana jones kind of sucks and also obviously non-competitive practices in large conglomerations taking down smaller mom and pa businesses is a huge thing this entire movie was actually like pretty staunchly anti-capitalist in that sense. That is exactly what I was going to say. My point is capitalism ruins everything, especially entertainment and journalism. Yeah. I mean, have you seen what the 24-hour news cycle has done to journalism? Less so than what I've seen it do to the movie industry. Okay. So I was also around very briefly when... You got news at roughly 8 a.m. and 11 p.m. It was weird, but also it was harder to... They still managed it, 
but it was harder to make you just have this low-grade anxiety about everything. Well, if you have a 24-hour news cycle, you have to fill that somehow. So every little bit of thing gets dredged up if you can make content out of it. And yeah, and look, you go on Twitter, you know, for the next week that Twitter will be around. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you, you follow news sites, especially around the election. Even progressive news companies tend to play up the, the negative stories because of the perception that that will bring in those anxiety clicks and anxiety views. Capitalism has always encouraged our worst impulses for the sake of making entirely notional stores of value. On the subject of how it affects entertainment, in particular movies, I saw an interview that Matt Damon did. I think it was on Hot Ones, but I only saw a clip, so I don't know for sure. And what he said is that it used to be that studios could make money back on films through DVD sales. Mm -hmm. And with streaming services, there's not the DVD sales anymore, which means big studios are less likely to make weird experimental movies because they have to make their money at the box office. Uh-huh. Okay. And while I get that, that is a solvable problem. Yes. Like, technology just evolved past DVDs. Yeah. I don't know. You can see right here, I have a bookshelf and two shelves are just full of DVDs. Yeah. And look, I appreciate that. Like, I don't have my DVD collection anymore. It went a wall sometime in the aughts. But there you go. Yeah. Okay. I I mean, we talked about the anti-capitalism. I don't think there's too much else to discuss, really, or analyze, pick apart. I will say that this movie was... I, I joked around a lot in expressing the inscrutability of this movie, but, like, it kind of was, though. It was like, like a lot of what Weird Al does. It's satire that is impossible to come back at i guess right so there you go any final thoughts before we get to ratings i have a few not really okay my thoughts were one not as much fran drescher as i'd like yeah that's fair and then the other we've talked a lot about how comedy doesn't age well i don't think this aged poorly but it is old enough that it's not of the current taste is how i describe it yeah yeah as far as, like, coarse jokes are concerned, there's only the two, and they're both over pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, both the purveyors of said coarse joke get their comeuppance. Nobody gets away with dropping a hard R in this one. No. Oh, there was one other thing. Apparently, Raul, the animal guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, the animal guy. One, they do make a joke that George goes... Where did you find this guy? And Bob's like, I thought you hired him. I thought you hired him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, apparently he was supposed to have a bigger role, but the actor was killed in a an accident during production. It's a oh, bummer. Bummer. Ratings. Ratings. Scale of 1 to 10 on enjoyability, just a standard scale. Where are you putting this, Sophia? Let me know. For all of my bitching, I'll, I'll put it at a 7. I'll go 8.5. I really like this movie. I, was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. On obscurity, with one being not particularly obscure, but at least enough to be on this podcast, and 10 being a literal student film. I'm going to say probably a four. 
this is a movie that you've heard of, but probably have never seen, like In the Army Now or Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, there's a good chance you've, like, somebody you know has seen it, but you haven't. I'll meet you at a four. I was going to put it higher, but you made good points. Also, I feel like this is a cult classic. I mean, Weird Al is a pretty famous guy. So if you get into him, you're like, oh, what else has he done? Well, one, a bunch of cameos in so many shows. Including Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So this has a cult following, but also, like you said, a lot of people haven't seen it themselves, but they've probably heard of it. Yeah. As we wrap up our episode, we end, of course, with our pop culture pop-out, a piece of pop culture we have been interested in as of late and just want to talk about for a bit. Sophia, do you want to start us off? Sure. So about a year ago, I had a pop culture pop-out about a fun little web series called If the Emperor Had a Text-to-Speech Device. Well, because Games Workshop is just, like, composed entirely of assholes... They had to stop doing that. But the guys over at the channel that does that, Alphabusa, they didn't give up. Like, that wasn't their only thing. So they've gotten their crew together and they've created an audio drama based on the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game called Hunter the Parenting, including all of the same voice actors as from If the Emperor Had a Text-to-Speech Device. It is, so far, really good. It's compelling I don't know if you've ever played Vampire the Masquerade. It's, it's it's fine. Part of World of Darkness. Yep. So there are a lot of lore notes from there, and apparently World of Darkness is fine with it. So I guess they're a paradox property. So they have actual clearance to use this, so they won't have to stop because another you know IP owner is like, no, no fan works. Nah, Skeletor. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave the link in the description to the current list of all of the episodes in order on YouTube. It's really fun. Kyle, what do you got for us? Last week, I watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story, a Roku original. Oh, fucking Roku. Yeah. This is the reason we did this episode now. So I figured yeah. it'd be good. This is a sort of biopic of Weird Al. It's like if you took his real life and mashed it with Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. (laughs) One chock-a-block full of celebrities, naturally. Daniel Radcliffe plays Weird Al. Rain Wilson plays Dr. Demento, who was a DJ that gave Al like one of his earliest breaks. Mm -hmm. There is also a scene where he has Al and his band over for a party. And there's just a bunch of celebrities playing celebrities, I should say. <laughs> One of them is Yorma Takone of Lonely Island is playing Paul Rubens playing Pee Wee. Love it. Yorma does a great Pee Wee. Yeah, honestly, I see it. And there's others that I truly could not list everyone. The other thing I found out related to this, though, is that this was in part produced by Funny or Die. Also, seven years ago, Funny or Die put out a video called Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And if you watch that video and watch the movie, almost the exact same pieces. Oh, there you go. 
truly wild. But if you like Weird Al, it's a great movie. If you don't, it's still enjoyable, but I don't know if you're getting as much out of it. Yeah, I, I think I'm Weird Al'd out for a while. That's fine. But again, it's a Roku original, so it's like, oh, I'm not sure, good. how the fuck do I even find this? Yeah. <laughs> Sophia, where can people find you online? Well, for the who knows what's going to happen with Twitter, but I'm currently there and... You, I'm not going to Mastodon. Don't make me go to Mastodon. God damn it, don't make me go to Mastodon. Anyway, until Twitter shits itself to death, I am at Hamilcarinina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am, oh God, Songkora. <laughs> Sophia Helena Maestatricht. I'm on Medium. Sophia Helena Maestatricht. I'm writing up a thing about Hellraiser. It's taking me longer than I thought it would, which for me is impressive. Let's see. Instagram, Sophia H underscore MDT. If you want to know what I look like, I'm super hot. Don't find me on Facebook. Kyle, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter for the time being, <laughs> at Kyle the Giggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under Hebrew Hammer. We also have a Twitter at Off the Film Path where we tweet about the movies we watch and other movie-related things. If you would like, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether to leave your own pop culture pop-out, or talk about the movies we discussed. You can go into our backlog if you want, or you can join us for the next one. But in order to get in on that next one, Sophia, what are we watching? Kyle, do you remember the number of times you've inflicted psychic damage on me with a movie? In terms of movie choices, it's about three or four. Well, you have finally got what you deserve coming to you, because next time... We are watching Zardoz. No, I did not have a stroke there. That's the name of the movie. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. Yeah. Boy, howdy. Whatever you think that name means, it's dumber. Cool. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends about our broadcast. Have a giant stone head float down and pronounce the name of the podcast to the adoring tribesmen who worship it if your uncle happens to win a tv station in a poker game just like play us to fill time while you get up your programming yeah thank you very much for listening and we will catch you next time goodbye bye